0: We're going to be in Romans 8 this morning. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 35 through 39 with you. We will begin our Advent series next week. Originally planned on beginning it this week, but the uh, Lord kind of put this passage on my heart and gave me an outline, and it just fits so well with our current circumstance. And so that's why we're here today. And then we'll begin, begin our Advent series next week, which is the first Sunday of Advent. So we're right on schedule. I was just going to begin early. Uh, Romans 8, verses 35 through 39, some of the most familiar verses in all the Bible. Hear then the word of the Lord. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of God is forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your Word. And Lord, we know that there is ever and always tremendous encouragement for your people in your Word. In these discouraging days, it is our prayer that you would encourage us through your Word with the great truths of all that is ours in Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you would be with me as I preach your word. Help me to do it well and in a manner that is pleasing to you, depending not on my own strength but on that which you provide. Be with us who listen. Help us to hear what we need to hear. That which is of you, may it go straight to our hearts. And that which is not of you, may it be quickly forgotten. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. People of God, we're living in days in which discouragement abounds. Children are discouraged by the postponement and cancellation of sports and the inability to gather with their friends at school and a whole host of other disappointments. Parents are discouraged as they try and juggle work schedules with their kids being home from school and perhaps Perhaps even more, they are discouraged as they try and teach their kids from home. Families are discouraged as they are asked not to gather together for the Thanksgiving holiday. Business owners are discouraged as many of them have been told that they ought to shut their doors again. Healthcare professionals are discouraged as they're being asked to work long and difficult hours, either to compensate for. Other workers who are out on quarantine, or maybe the increasing demand that is being placed upon the healthcare system. Leaders, really in any capacity, are discouraged as they're forced to deal with gathering restrictions and budget shortfalls and things of that nature. I received an email this week from the folks at Project Christmas in Cadillac, and, and you could almost hear the discouragement uh, in the email. You just kind of bled through the screen as I read it, as they, as they informed all of us that Project Christmas would be canceled this year. The list goes on and on. Discouragement abounds. It's all around us, and it's in us. And yet we must understand that even in days like this, God's people have much much more reason for encouragement than they do for discouragement. We see why at the end of Romans chapter 8. I've said this to you before when we've studied Romans chapter 8, but if the Bible is compared to a majestic and beautiful mountain range, Romans 8 might be might be considered the most majestic and beautiful peak. In that majestic and beautiful mountain range. And at the very end of Romans 8, specifically verses 31 through 39, we are brought really to the highest heights of our faith and we are given the most magnificent and breathtaking view of all that is ours in Christ. And at the very end of Romans 8, these final verses that we're looking at this morning, as we, as we behold the wonders of our salvation in Jesus, there are two truths set before us, which ought to ever and always fill us with joy and praise and encouragement and hope. The first of those two two truths is the truth of who we are in Christ. And the second of those two truths is the truth of what we have in Christ. Who we are in Christ What we have in Christ. Those are the wonderful, encouraging truths set before us at the end of Romans chapter 8. So let's consider first that truth of who we are in Christ. We see it in verse 37. There we read, In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. That's who we are in Christ. We are more than conquerors conquerors. Now, this phrase, more than conquerors, uh, is really an interesting one in Greek. Uh, It comes from one single Greek word, hypernikomen, and this one Greek word, hypernikomen, or upernikomen, if you want to really use the Greek slang, I guess, uh, this one Greek word is made up of uh, two Greek words put together, and, and these two Greek words have each found their way into the English language. One of those two Greek words is nikao, and nikao means in Greek to overcome or to conquer. Now, the word nikao has found its way into the English language in a brand name. Any guesses? Aiden, Jane, brand name, overcome, conquer, nikao. What does it sound like? Nike. That's right. You were helped. Aiden and Jane. (laughs) Nike, that's right. Nike comes from that Greek word, nikao. Uh, To the beginning of the word nikao is attached another Greek word, the word is hyper. And this too has found its way into the English language, obviously. We we might uh, talk about someone who is hypersensitive. Uh, We might talk about someone who is a hyper-Calvinist. We might refer to an energetic child as being hyper. The word literally means over and above or beyond. And so when we put hyper together with nikao, as Paul does here in Romans eight thirty seven, we get the phrase more than conquerors or beyond conquerors. And that's what Paul says we are in and through Christ. We are, we are not just conquerors. We are, we are more than conquerors. We are super conquerors. We don't just win a victory, we win a thorough and complete victory. This illustration is maybe a little old now because Michigan won last night in triple overtime against Rutgers. It takes you triple overtime to beat Rutgers, you're not very good, never mind. Um, But last week, Michigan played Wisconsin, and Michigan lost 49 to 11, right? Wisconsin won a thorough and complete victory right? And that's kind of the thing Paul's talking about here. I, you know, obviously I could have said the same thing about Michigan State who got destroyed as well. But last week, Saturday, the college football teams in Michigan were thoroughly destroyed. That's the kind of thing that Paul here is talking about when he says you're more than conquerors. The contest isn't even close. Now, we need to notice uh, where it is that Paul says we are more than conquerors or, or what it is In that we win this most complete and thorough victory, because it's not a it's not a football game. No, Paul says in verse 37 that it's in all these things. It's in all these things that we are more than conquerors. It's in all these things that we are winning a most thorough and complete victory. It's in all these things that we are doing what Iowa did to Michigan State last Saturday. That was for you, Mark Bunning. I, I had to get into Michigan State a little bit over there. Have to be neutral. Well, what are all these things? That Paul talks about. Well, they're the, they're the things of verse 35. There Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Okay, these, these are the things Paul is speaking about in verse 37. These are the things which we are more than conquerors in. Now, notice what these things are. Broadly speaking, these things in verse 35 are things of adversity, These are things of hardship. These are things of difficulty, right? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Those are not fun things. Those are not things any one of us wants to go through or endure, and yet these are the things Paul says we are more than conquerors in. And it's noteworthy, it's noteworthy that Paul doesn't say uh, that in all these things we will be more than conquerors as if the victory is going to come after a prolonged struggle. No, he says, in all these things, we are presently, right now, while we're going through these things, we are more than conquerors. He's saying that even in in the midst of these things, even in the midst of tribulation and distress and persecution and, and famine and nakedness, even in the midst of these things, we are winning a most thorough and complete victory. Even in the midst of these things, we are coming out on top. Even in the midst of these things, we are, we are triumphant. We are prevailing. Now, it often doesn't feel like that, does it? A close friend of mine uh, is, thankfully, just getting over a good bout with COVID. And uh, when COVID first set in, he was doing good. And I texted him early last week. I guess it was probably t- two weeks ago now. Uh, I said, hey, buddy, how you doing? And he texts back, and says, I'm whooping COVID. I am, I am whooping COVID. I am doing well, right? It can't keep me down. I'm okay. I'm going to sail through it. And then a couple days later, actually, it was last Sunday morning. I, was, I did go hunting. Right? We can talk about that later. But well, couldn't be in church. I might as well not stew about it. So I went hunting. And, um, and I texted my buddy. I said, hey, buddy, how are you doing today? Because he loves to hunt as well. And he says, he says, um. COVID is whooping me. Uh, I'm puking. I've got a fever and body aches. I just want to sleep. I try to get into my gun blind. I can't even climb my ladder. I'm like, you're going hunting? You have COVID. He's like, well, you know, hunters are weird, but COVID's whooping me. It's taking me down. And that's often how we feel in the midst of adversity. We feel like we're getting whooped. We feel like we're losing the fight. We feel like we're going down in defeat. And yet Paul says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. How can that be? Well, the answer, the answer has already been given to us in Romans chapter 8. What Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, these last verses, is really just the implication of everything Paul says in Romans 8, 1 through 30. And it's really the implication of what Paul says in verse 28, Romans 8, 28. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And then in verse 29, we learn exactly what the good is that all things are working together for. It's our conformity to the image of Christ, okay? Okay. So, so in verse 28, we learn that, that God uh, works for the good of those who love Him in all things to conform them into the image of Christ. And then we jump down to verse 37, and we hear again that phrase, all things. But we're told now, in all things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And when we put these two verses together, we see, we see exactly how it is that we are more than conquerors. Because it is in all these things, even things of adversity, that God is working for our good to make us more and more like Christ, to make us more and more fit for heaven and for eternity. In all these things, even these things of adversity, God is is working to make us into the holy people whom He's called us to be in Christ. I like what William Hendrickson says in his commentary he says, what Paul is saying is not only that these various hardships and forces which he mentions not hurt us, but they help us. They all work together for good. It is for this reason that he states that in connection with them we are more than conquerors. And he makes this distinction. A conqueror is a person who defeats the enemy. One who is more than a conqueror causes the enemy to become a helper. A conqueror is one who just simply defeats the enemy. One who is more than a conqueror is one who makes the enemy become a helper. And we must understand that in Christ, in Christ, that is exactly what adversity is. In Christ, adversity and the adverse situations we encounter are simply a helper unto salvation. This is why James can say, count it all joy. My brothers, whenever you face trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness must have its full effect, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God in His sovereign wisdom and providence and power, God uses trials and difficulties to help us unto salvation. He uses trials and difficulties to make us more like Jesus and to make us fit for eternity in His presence. And so, whether the believer is suffering from COVID, as my friend was, whether the believer is suffering from depression or disappointment or poverty or persecution… Suffering from, right, insert your adverse situation here. Whatever the person is is suffering from, whatever the believer is suffering from, God calls us to believe that in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. In all these things, we are winning a most thorough and complete victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. From Earth's perspective, it looks like we're going down in a big pile of defeat. But from heaven's perspective, no, heaven sees us. See, what's happening is you are, you are winning, you are triumphing, you are conquering, you are becoming more like what God has called you to be in Christ. And of course, the reason, right, is because these things which are meant to take you down, they're serving you unto salvation. These things which were meant to take you down, they're being used by God for your good. They're being used by God to cut away all those parts of you that are not like Christ in order that what's left is His very Christ-like I can't help but think of the old rendering of question and answer one from the Heidelberg Catechism. This is the old rendering. It says, "'What is thy only comfort in life and in death?' And it answers, "'That I with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior Jesus Christ, who with His precious blood hath fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from the power of the devil.' And so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. And then it says this, yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation. All things must serve me unto salvation. All things must help me unto glory. That's, that's what the believer has in Christ. He or she is, even in the midst of difficulty, more than a conqueror through Him who loved us, because even these adverse situations are serving us unto salvation. And so, boys and girls, when you, when you go to school and you miss your friends, and rest assured, your, your childhood isn't being wasted. It's being served unto salvation. High schoolers, when you can't play sports and, you know, disappointment just fills your heart because you're missing out on all of these things which you'll never have an opportunity to go through again, you're not, you're not wasting your high school years. You're being served unto salvation. Moms and dads, when things aren't going as you planned and you're taking more days off from work than you wanted and your kids are falling terribly behind in school so far as you're concerned because you're a terrible teacher, you're not wasting your life, you're not wasting your child's childhood. No, you're being served unto salvation. Healthcare workers, frustrated, annoyed, especially with those who, who maybe don't take more stringent precautions. Right? You're working long hours. You're afraid of what might become of the hospital. You're afraid of whether or not you'll be able to care for all people. Rest assured, even in that distress, you're being served unto salvation. Why? Because in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Before we move on to that next great encouraging truth, I just just want to point out what Paul says here about our Lord. He refers to our Lord as Him who loved us, right? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Not Him who loves us, although that is true. Paul says through Him who loved us. It's It's in the past tense, now whenever God's love is spoken about like this in the past tense as sort of a once for all event that that has taken place in history, then we have to see it as focusing our attention on God's love as it was displayed at the cross. Because when we think about Him who loved us, where is it that He loved us most thoroughly, most significantly? It is at the cross where God made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Of course, the cross cross doesn't only display that love of God. No, the cross shows us that our God is able to, to use adverse circumstances and situations for good. Because what did God do at the cross? Well, at the cross, God took the worst thing that ever happened on the face of this earth, the death of His only beloved Son, and He used it to bring about the best thing that's ever happened on the face of this earth, that the salvation of sinners like you and me, right? And so, you're in this situation, and you think, how could God ever use this situation for good? How can God say that I'm more than a conqueror in this terrible trying circumstance, right? Look to the cross and see what God did, at the cross, and see how God brought about a most thorough and complete victory at the cross in the most adverse situation that ever took place on the face of the earth. And there you see what God can do and how God can bring about good out of bad and out of adversity. Let's move on to that second encouraging truth. It's the truth of what we have in Christ. The first one is who we are in Christ. We're more than conquerors. The second truth is what we have in Christ. And what we have in Christ is nothing less than this. It's nothing less than the invincible, indestructible, indefatigable, unconquerable, unmovable, unshakable love of God. If you want to go home and get a thesaurus, you can fill in your own more ables in there. We could have put lots more in there, right? Nothing less than the invincible, indestructible love of God. That's what we have in Christ. Listen to what Paul says, verses 38 and 39. This This is the conclusion he draws from the truth that in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. He says, for I am sure, I am convinced, the NIV says, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In verse 35, Paul listed seven items that could not separate us from Christ's love. Now in verses 38 and 39, he lists 10 items that cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ. The first of those 10 items is death. Death cannot separate us from God's love in Christ, Paul says. Boys and girls, what happens when a Christian dies? What happened to Roy when he died last Sunday? Do you know Well, death death serves as the Christian's entrance into eternal life. Death serves as the believer's entrance into glory. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Today, today, you'll be with me in paradise. The Apostle Paul said to the Philippians, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. The implication is that when he died, he was going to be with Christ. Death serves as the believer's entrance into glory. And so far from separating us from the love of God, death brings the Christian into an even fuller experience of the love of God. The second item on Paul's list is is life. Neither can life separate us from God's love in Christ, and I think that's good news too because the fact is there is much in life that tries to separate us from God's love. In this life, we have trouble. The world, the flesh, and the devil, they, they constantly attack us, and they constantly try to extinguish our faith. We saw that illustration from Pilgrim's Progress a couple of weeks ago, and Christians in the interpreter's house and he sees a fire burning in a fireplace in the wall. And there's a man on the front side of the fire. And he's filling up buckets of water. And he's throwing these buckets of water on the fire. And he's trying to put the fire out. And, and Christian says to the interpreter, what is the meaning of this? And the interpreter says, the fire right, is the love of God within the hearts of his people. And the man throwing water on that fire is the devil. Who with his buckets of water, the adversity we face in this life, he tries to extinguish our faith. Of course, what else did Christian see in that scenario? Well, even as the devil tried to hurl buckets of water on the fire to put out, the fire burned higher and hotter. And Christian says, how can the fire burn higher and hotter with all this water being poured on it? And the interpreter says, let me show you something. And they go behind the wall, and they see a man behind the wall pouring oil into the fire, causing it to burn higher and hotter. And Christian says, who's this? And the interpreter says, this is Christ." Who keeps the fire of your faith burning with the oil of his grace? Nothing, not even life, and the trials and difficulties of life can separate you from the love of God in Christ because, because Christ is pouring the oil of his grace, the oil of his love on the fire of our faith, and Christ is keeping it burning. The third and fourth items on paul 's list are angels and demons. the ESV says angels and rulers I think. Uh, it's probably better to understand that phrase, rulers, as, as demons, especially when you set it in opposition to the, to the word angels, and that's how the NIV interprets it. But, but really, Paul's point in these third and fourth items is to say, you know, nothing in the heavenly realms will be able to separate us from God's love in Christ. Not angels, not demons. And this is evident in the Gospels, isn't it? Jesus, He encounters people who are demon-possessed, And yet, not once does Jesus say, I I can do nothing for you. No, every time, every time Jesus drives these demons out, these demons cannot keep people from God's love in Christ. And certainly, that's good news, right? For even today, Scripture says the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Even today, the Apostle Paul says that our struggle as Christians is not against flesh and blood, but against the supernatural forces in the heavenly realms. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Supernatural forces, they're real, but they can't separate us from God's love in Christ. The fifth and sixth items on Paul's list are the present and the future, or, or the present and things to come, Neither can these things, neither can time separate us from God's love in Christ. God's love in Christ doesn't have an expiration date. It's not going to go bad. I told a story about a meatball in the fridge this week at the first service. I'll tell you another story. Yesterday, I was cleaning out Aaron's van, and between the seats, I found something that I think was a banana, but looked more like a hot dog. Needless to say... That's what happens to food over time. It goes bad. The love of God does not go bad. Time is powerless against the love of God in Christ. The seventh item on Paul's list is powers. Powers can't separate us from the love of God in Christ. It's hard to know exactly what Paul has in mind when when he speaks of powers here, but probably best not to think too hard about it. My mind goes to the powers of this world. You think of governments, you think of kings, you think of nations, you think of powerful people. They cannot separate us either from the love of God in Christ. Yes, they can threaten our lives, they can threaten our businesses, they can threaten our reputations, they can take away our freedoms, but they cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ. The eighth and ninth items on Paul's list are height and depth, and these terms really get at the totality of the physical universe. Whether you're at the bottom of the deepest ocean in a submarine, or you're at the top of the highest mountain, or or you know what, we're getting into the future now, maybe somebody here will find themselves in space someday, it doesn't really matter where you are, God's love remains. Nothing in this whole physical universe, no, no distance can separate you from the love of God in Christ. The psalmist says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me fast. And then the 10th item that Paul speaks about here, it's, it's really just a catch-all. After he says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor any powers nor height nor depth, after he lists those nine items as being things that cannot separate us from God's love in Christ, he then says this, nor can anything else in all creation. He's saying, listen, I've tried to encompass and encapsulate everything which we might be tempted to think can separate us from God's love in Christ. But just in case I've missed something, just in case you've thought of something that I've forgotten, rest assured, nor can anything else in all creation separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ we have the invincible indestructible, indefatigable, unconquerable, unmovable, unshakable love of God. Throughout my life, I've often found solace in the love of my family. I remember when I was a kid, and maybe I'd have a difficult day at school. Maybe I'd have difficulty with a classmate, or I'd have difficulty with a teacher, or or even difficulty with a principal, which I did have from time to time. Um, I, I remember that I would always find solace and comfort in the fact that at the end of the day, I could go home to a family that loved me. And no matter how cruel this world was, the love of my family would still be there. And even now that I have a family of my own, a wife and children, I, I still find comfort in the love of my family. I, I, take, I take solace in the fact that, that even when this world is cruel, which it often is, even when things don't go my way, which they often don't, right, I, I can come home to a family, to a wife and children who love me, and that, that, that's comforting. It's like a floor sort of in, in, on the despair of any given day, right? You can only fall so far, and then you hit the love of your family, and it's like it holds you there, right, and, and it's okay, And you know, the love of God in Christ ought to have a similar effect on us. When the world is cruel and disappointing, when the world takes away from us all the things we love, when the world fails to live up to our hopes and dreams, what it often does, we ought to find solace and comfort in the fact that through it all we remain the beloved children of God. And nothing in all of creation can take that away from us. Now, the truth is this. We are sinners and we have sinful hearts. And because of that, right, many of us have a difficult time finding much solace or comfort in the truth of God's love in Christ. And again, the problem is not because there's something wrong with God's love as if it's not sufficient or not that wonderful. The problem is because there's something wrong with our hearts, This this shows us that that God isn't our heart's greatest treasure. This shows us, right? When God's love isn't enough for us, it it shows us that, you know what, God's love isn't all that precious to us, at least not as precious as it should be. We might say it is, we might sing about how it is, but when the rubber meets the road, when life gets difficult, when the only thing we can rely on and the only thing we can count on is the love of God in Christ, that's often not our experience. We do not find that comfort or solace in the love of God that we should or that we would if we truly valued the love of God above all else. And that's something, frankly, we need to pray about. That's something we need to confess to God. God. And ask Him to heal us of. Because the fact of the matter is, we ought to have hearts. We ought to have hearts that are content with the love of God. We ought to have hearts that even when the world takes everything away from us and we're falling as fast as we can, bam! Find a resting place on the truth of God's abiding love in Christ. We ought to have hearts like that. Habakkuk had a heart like that. You know what Habakkuk said? Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the produce of the olive crop fail, though the field produces no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold, though there is no cattle in the stalls, still I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Even when when everything's gone even when I'm run destitute, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. That is the words of one who said, you know what? I have the love of God in Christ, and I don't need anything else. The psalmist had a similar testimony. He said, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. In my portion forever. Both Habakkuk and the Psalms—they they found a floor to their despair, didn't they? In the love of God. They were falling, 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 but boom, they could go no lower. And they were good, and they found rest because the love of God remained. Job did too, didn't he? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In Christ, we have the invincible, indestructible, indefatigable, unconquerable love of God. Let me ask you today, friends, what more do you need? What more do you need? Your sinful heart says you need a lot more. Mine does too. When you really think about it, what what more do you need? Even in discouraging days, Christian, you are a beloved child of God. Even in discouraging days, you have a heavenly Father, sovereign over all, who loves you and who is watching over you and who is working all things together for good in such a way that even in the midst of all your disappointment and adversity and weariness, you are, from heaven's perspective, more than a conqueror. They're taking bets in heaven. They see you at war with this adversity. Their money is on you in heaven because in Christ you are more than a conqueror. You are coming out on top. What an encouragement, right? What an encouragement. Our lives are not being wasted in adversity. No, our lives are being served unto salvation in adversity. Of course, I must say clearly in closing what I've implied throughout. And it's that the encouragement given at the end of Romans 8, it comes to us only, only, only in Christ. Christ. Outside of Christ, none of us is more than a conqueror. Outside of Christ, we are, we are only going down in overwhelming defeat. Outside of Christ, we are, we are not an object of God's love and mercy and grace. We are an object of God's wrath. Outside of Christ, all things are not serving you unto salvation. They're serving you unto damnation. Outside of Christ, you have much reason or discouragement today. You ought to be discouraged about your sin. You ought to be discouraged about your circumstances. You ought to be discouraged about the hopelessness which lies before you. Outside of Christ, I'll be honest with you, you are in a bad, discouraging place, and the discouragement you feel now is just a preview of the discouragement you will experience for all eternity. And yet, even now, even this morning, even as you sit here and listen, God offers Himself and His mercy and His grace and His love and His encouragement to you freely in Jesus Christ. Today, God offers to replace all of that, all of that discouragement from your sin with encouragement through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, which was shed on the cross for our sins and which removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west and which makes us, brings us into the family of God and makes us the beloved children of God. My friend, today, today you can be found in Christ. Today you can confess your sins and put your hope and trust in Him. Today, the encouragement of Romans 8, it can be yours. It doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter where you've been. doesn't matter what you've done. God has made a way for dirty, rotten sinners to become the objects of His saving love. And if you don't believe it, I think I'm proof. And the people around you might be proof as well. God has made a way for us to become the objects of His saving love. God has made a way for us who deserve eternal discouragement to have eternal encouragement through His grace and mercy in Christ. So come to Christ. Believe on Christ. and Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Because in Him, you are more than a conqueror. And in Him, nothing can separate you from God's love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And even our, our discouraging circumstances are being used by You for good to make us more and more like Jesus. Lord, we praise You also for that love which You have bestowed upon us in Christ by His death and resurrection, that love which is invincible and which nothing can separate us from. Help us to find encouragement and rest and solace in that love today. And Lord, we pray for any and all who remain outside of Christ this morning, whether they're inside this sanctuary or outside these walls in our community, our friends, family, and neighbors. Father, we pray that You would work in their heart, that You would give them new life through the gospel, that You would unite them with Christ by faith. It's in His name we pray, amen. We're going to sing. We're going to sing three verses, and then we'll... If you want to wait, I'll give the benediction and we can sing the last verse. Does that sound good? I didn't talk about that with you. Let's stand. receive the parting blessing, and then we'll sing the final verse. Dear friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and grant you His peace. Amen.